Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back on the ride with Roycey. Tom Chorsky sitting in for Patrick. I'm joined by Manny and Reavers. And I uh, appreciate your help, you guys. So Absolutely. I want to get to this wild talker because... Uh, I am a little bit worried about the club. I'm in the I'm in you the are. I'm in the wild hockey camp. That's worried because you're in the Judd camp. I am in the Judd. Well, God, I hate saying that because he's <laughs> he's psychotic. But I but I am because of this because I know how tough it is in that league to dig yourself out of a hole when you have so many losing efforts that result in points. That if you get too far behind the eight ball, it's really tough to climb out of it. And I, so did that you ever, part did of you it ever worries. have to raise your GPA? It's it's kind of like that. It's what are you tough. getting at, Tursky? <laughs> <laughs> no, keep going. Uh, but but I guess my point is, so there's that part of it. And also, this was a team that, you know, when they won the division last year, everybody kind of assumed that it was going to happen again. Well, it doesn't work that way in, in any walk of sports. But the other thing is, when the owner comes out and says, Stanley Cup play or Stanley Cup yeah, final or bust. bust, that is troubling. So I'm wondering if what level of success needs to be reached in order for everybody to be safe. So I am... Personally, I'm worried. Should yeah. I be? Yeah, I think it's fair right now because of their inconsistency. That's a team that plays well when they are all going well, I think. Um, you know, I, I I was making a comment the other day to someone. We're watching You watch some of these teams, and the teams that have maybe a line of, of the super elite players, at least two out two, of uh, three are elite, and they maybe have a really good player on the second. Uh, some of those lines, you know, some of those teams have a line that kind of makes it look easy, right? They, the, they, the, they, the Kane and Taves yeah, line. Yeah, you know, yeah. And, and, and they've been able to replace with even some other young players that, that because they've lost players over the years. But uh, um, the Wild seem to, uh, they have to put on their hard hats and work every night. And if they've got injuries or if someone's slumping or a handful of players haven't scored in a while, it's a tough it's a tough deal for them, and and they rely on Devin Dubnik to keep them in games. They're getting good goaltending from Staylock right now, yeah. uh, which is great to see. Uh, you know, just for him personally, I, I, as a Minnesota kid, he's from South St. Paul. He played at Duluth. Uh, he had a nice little run as a as a goalie in San Jose, and now he's been bouncing around as he as he approaches thirty. But it looks to me like he's settling in for at least a. F- couple few seasons here as a, as potentially as a backup goalie because of how he's able to come in and play and I think the the team uh feels confident with him because of his past experience and they, I don't think they felt that way in the in in the past so uh he's in a good spot but the team overall has to really be 
clicking to to dominate and to win games and, and to score goals. So let me ask you this, because I know with the, they, there were a lot of new pieces that came in the, over the past offseason with the Pommonville trade. And, you know, I so I know that and that's going to happen every single year because of how tight that they were with the cap situation that they had going into this last offseason. They needed to resign Granlin and they needed to resign Niederreiter. I, so I get all that and I understand why they had to make moves that they did. Does it really take that long for the guys that they brought in to figure out the system and everything, or is it just a matter of they're just not as talented as they were last year? Yeah, it takes a little bit of time, some adjustment to a new team, but it's not really, I don't think, an adjustment to systems. It's it's more of a finding, and and Boudreaux moves guys around quite a bit yes, he does. from, from uh, game to game, and then even once he sets a, a line going into a game, he'll sometimes uh, get a feeling, he says, that, you know, if we need a we need a little lift or we're behind and I need some offense or someone's not going, I'm going to plug this other guy in there. He does a lot of that in game as well. So I think there's some of that too that where the players are getting bounced around a little bit. But uh, they, you know, they they got rid of Pominville, who who had an ability to to score a, 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 probably a consistent number of goals every year, 15, you know, upper teens, uh, and and we got some players back that aren't even going to score that much. They play a little different role, so we lost some offense there. I think. Scandella leaving was a very good two-way defenseman. The, so the team, and then and then Eric Halla left, mm-hmm. and and so the team changed just enough that uh, it, they had to kind of re-identify who really fits in where, and and that's still been a little bit of evolution, partly because of injuries right away in the early part of the season. You had Nino Nina Ryder go down, and Granlin went down, and Charlie Coyle went down for extended periods of time. And then Zach Parisi's been out for a long time. Now he's looking to to get back in, and and then when they get Dubnik back in, maybe the team starts to to feel like it's it's full uh, with with all of their top players, uh, and then maybe they can start to i become up with an identity and and look and feel like uh, a more consistent team. So with Parisi, are they are they missing like what are they missing more of? With him being out, are they missing sort of the the leadership and the and the work ethic, or are they yeah. missing like the goal scoring and just the 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 numbers production that he usually gives them? Yeah, well, he you know he he gives fairly consistent production, but it's not it's not big production. He's right. not a forty goal guy, or he's not even thirty goal guy probably anymore. But uh, I do think he provides a level of of uh, tenacity and and consistent effort. Yeah. Uh, I think you watch him go over the boards and and he's he, his forechecks hard and he goes to the front of the net and and the goals he does score because of where he goes in traffic and and I do think he has a belief that he's still a uh, an upper level player, upper echelon player. He scores big goals and and if they're down by one, he seems to be a guy that can often get them back tied up or if they're tied, he can get the winning goal. So but they given, do miss that. But given the nature, <clears throat> excuse me, given the nature of his injury and the physical style in which he plays, should it be fair to be worried about him re-injuring himself on the ice and then, you know, given his age, not that he's old, but he's not 23 years old anymore. So I'm wondering if that if if that's part of it too, or is that why it's taking him so long to get back to make sure that he is 100. percent Well, for sure, that's they're going to be super cautious right now with, uh, with because he with is whether season. you like it or not, he's a long term investment. He, well, he certainly is. We hope he's not old because there's still uh, some years left on that contract. Yes, there is, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to point out the uh, the obvious, but um, they want to take 
you know, because the team isn't uh, the team is is surviving. I wouldn't say they're thriving right now, but for him to come back, you don't want him to get injured. First of all, as a long term mm-hmm. investment, and just as a as a hockey player, you you want to care about his health. Uh, they're gonna they're gonna be super careful with the back surgery that he had, and and you know they've researched other players that have had it, and I'm sure he's talked to players that have had it and maybe came back too soon. Because my God, if if I get the rare bad back, I can't even walk. I couldn't imagine trying to play hockey in the NHL. Yeah, and, I've, and I've, his particular style. Yeah, right. And and he, you know, he doesn't hand out punishing hits, but he goes into traffic and he's in front of the net and he takes. Yeah. You know, I mean, how many times do you see after a whistle him getting up off the ground? Oh, I mean, yeah. He's just gotten pasted into the ground because he's in there digging for a rebound, or he's been standing there trying to screen the goalie or or redirect the and puck. He's, and he's not. And and I mean this in no disrespect to him, but he's not a he's not a big guy. He's not like a big. 6'5", 230-pound guy that's going to be in there taking a lot of contact. I mean, he's, you know, kind of a normal, average-sized person. And that's, again, that's not a knock to him, but it's just, yeah, I mean, that's the physical nature of his style. He's 5'11", you know, 5'11", 190 pounds or something, and 95 maybe. Um, You know, I think but he'll he'll probably have a a nice layer of padding or, you know, some sort of customized... Uh, back protection, which I, I've seen other players utilize when they've had back injuries or other types of injuries, and so um, he'll be well protected. He say, he claims he's going to play his same style, which we hope he can, and we hope he returns soon. He's skating with the team. Uh, they're down in Florida. They play Friday and they play Saturday. And uh, well, I was going to talk about that, but we got to take a break. Wait a second, Shore. Does this make that a target area, though? Are other people gonna? I mean, come on, we're talking hockey here. Yeah, no, I, 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 there's certainly like, like Reavers was just saying, it only takes one guy, and there's some knuckleheads out there, especially that uh, are, are are on the defensive core. And you go if he goes near the front of the net, somewhat fair game. You're saying there's knuckleheads in hockey, Tom? Uh, Wait, I, I am. Finish. I am. <laughs> so I, I, I and think be some it's little cross checks. Yeah, a hundred percent chance that somebody's gonna gun for him. Yeah, and that's why he'll have that extra flak jacket uh, on, covering his back and. Uh, he'll take a couple shots, but that's to be expected, and and he'll have to he'll have to prove that he can survive those. So when we come back, there'll be more with uh, the ride with Roycey. Talking purple right now on the ride with Roycey. Kevin Seifert from ESPN. It's Kevin Seifert here with Kevin Seifert. We have ESPN's Kevin Seifert. It's ESPN.com's NFL Nation reporter Kevin Seifert, presented by Mystic Lake. Tom Jorsky sitting in for Patrick Royce on the ride with Royce. We're talking purple with Kevin Seifert. Hey, Kevin, I have yes, to ask sir. you, I'm going to ask you the first question here because I'm amused by this entire subject. <laughs> Did you ever think in your long and storied history of covering the NFL and the Vikings and whatnot, that index cards would be a major story in a playoff push in an NFL season? I'm still kind of laughing about it. Uh, you know, I can't say that I ever predicted that that particular story uh, would uh, emerge, but I think generally speaking, we can be safe to assume there will be multiple fiascos and debacles uh, over the course of every NFL season, and certainly this one has been one of them. So when Gene Serratore pulls out the index card on Sunday Night Football and does that, he's doing that completely for show, is he not? You know, uh, you know the guys. Even the guys of the NFL Network were uh, pretty frontal in saying that he was just joking. That uh, because it was so close and being a showman, and you know, Steratore definitely has uh, you know not only a sense of humor but also a, uh, a strong sense of self. I guess is the nicest way to put it. 
Um, he is not, you are not supposed to make a decision based on a note card. Um, there's nothing explicitly in the rule book that says you can't use it, but the guidance given to all officials on all levels of football, I think, is you're supposed to visually, if, you, if it's not obvious, you're supposed to visually uh, affirm uh, whether the ball has crossed the line again. And, uh, and so when he had a very circumspect uh, interview with the pool reporter afterwards, he had to make sure that he made clear that he had decided uh, that it was already a first down before he took out that note card, and he only did it to reaffirm in his words. Um, but the smile on his face uh, suggested otherwise, or at least suggested that he understood the ridiculousness of the moment. But I don't think the Raiders were amused, and I guess I can't blame them because even though he almost certainly had made the decision before he took the no card out, the idea that he was kind of either joking around with a really important call or was actually you know, going off the reservation and using the no card to do it, either one of those possibilities uh, would be really discomforting if you're the Raiders and you needed to make that stop to win a game that you couldn't lose if you still wanted to make the playoffs. And, Kevin, the worst part about it, too, is he, like – he folded the index card and then used the like the open side down to try yeah. and push the card down to see so if the wire was across. It was ridiculous. Yeah, and I think it was actually like a lot of officials would keep like a penalty card in their pocket to keep track of certain things um, that happened during the course of the game. So I think that's what it was. But you're right. That was the other part is, you know, NBC is Sunday night. They have cameras everywhere. They have guys with mobile cameras. They have the – the uh, you know the, the the sky cam and they had a guy right there and when you I mean it was like you couldn't get a better view of it and it 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 didn't look as though I mean it looked as though there was more than the width of a, of a note card that uh, that separated the ball from the from the first down marker so I don't even know if it should have been a first down in the first place that's an entirely different conversation about whether in 2017 the NFL should be measuring first downs with chain links and guesses and all that kind of thing but. The no card thing almost brought it into the, the theater of absurd, I would say. Hey, Kevin, it's Tom Chorsky uh, chiming in here as a as a former hockey player. Uh, yeah. Earlier, we were we were talking and debating and and pontificating about a couple things. One being uh, kind of aggressive hits, which is a talking point uh, in the NFL and in the NHL a little bit. They've they've addressed it, and then retaliation and 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 the Vikings and the Green Bay Packers go into Saturday night. We don't think there's going to be any retaliation, but uh, what are, what are your thoughts on on both the some of the dangerous hitting that seems to be still taking place and maybe the retaliation factor? Yeah, there's that's one game. Uh, the you know the Anthony Barr and the Aaron Rodgers Packers Vikings. There's also the Bills Patriots coming up, um, where you would potentially be concerned about retaliation between the Bills and Rob Gronkowski, who caused a concussion with a really cheap shot a couple weeks ago. So that's, right, right. there's two, there's, there's two uh, games this week where that story comes in. I think, you know, I, I think it's, it's a really tough discussion because anyone who's played football or watched football knows how rough it is and how tough you have to be to play it and how the only way you can play it is at full speed. And when you're playing at full speed, it's very, it can be very difficult to avoid some of these hits that the NFL has now rightly, in my opinion, decided have to be out of the game. I mean, the game will not survive over time if we're consistently seeing players bash each other's brains in, basically. And, and whether it's a quarterback, you know, 
like Tom Savage being almost knocked out and, and his, his hands uh, twitching like he was having a seizure or, uh, you know, Russell Wilson being, you know, going into a, into a, a tent and, and never having a concussion test or mm-hmm. uh, any number of other issues that have come up. Um, you know, the Steelers-Bengals game uh, a couple weeks ago comes to mind. I, I think the NFL has recognized, and I think there's a lot of truth to it, that they have to make every effort or at least to make the perception of every effort to get those hits out of the game and to discipline players who, who don't and to challenge coaches to teach techniques that, you know, do everything they can to avoid those type of hits. So I, I think that that's imperative for them in the long term. Um, as John Gruden pointed out the other night, sometimes it's not the defender. Sometimes the quarterback throws passes that create the scenarios where guys who are defenseless receivers get laid out um, when you really shouldn't have, that wasn't the read or it wasn't an accurate throw or you really could have helped your receiver out in some other way. Uh, so it's not just on defenders. It's on the entire game. But I don't see yeah. how football lasts over time without it. It's interesting, and today actually, that we're now seeing stories about Vince McMahon now being interested in, in uh, maybe resurrecting the XFL. And the <laughs> idea behind that would be, you know, here's where you, if you if you think the NFL has gotten soft, come to the XFL because we'll be ripping each other's heads off. Is basically the 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 idea, and that would be a very interesting test, I think, of whether fans have started to to come along the, uh, on that path of, of the the, the uh, football needing to be changed in order to survive, or if they really hate what the NFL is doing and would be more entertained by watching guys bash each other's brains in. Yeah, I don't think we want to see any of that. I think. I think even players are starting to to be more I mean willing to walk away for for the safety of their own health. I would I would think so and and you know if if you ever if you ever go to a collection of retired NFL players yep. or re- alumni reunion or you know even the Vikings they'll have guys out before yep. a game and they were in the gold thing. I mean you some of these guys, you look at him and say, I didn't, realize he was, I didn't realize he was that old. I didn't think he was 85. And you look it up, and he's 45 or 55. And he's just, they're just beat up. Yep. And um, it is a really sobering uh, uh, scene to do that. And it makes you really think that the players now, if they could just uh, be in the, in the bodies of the people who came before them, they would have a very clear understanding of where the game needs to go. Kevin Seifer is with us talking purple here on the ride with Royce. Kevin, you mentioned the Steelers and uh, Bengals game from a couple of weeks ago. Should we find it a bit alarming that we haven't heard many updates on Ryan Shazier's condition? Or is this just a case of the family doesn't necessarily want all that information out there at this time? Uh, You know, we can't speculate, but in the absence of information, you can make reasonable assumptions that there's some and even the, from their public comments i think ryan chazier's dad talked to my colleague jeremy fowler um today who covers the steelers and said that it's you know they're they're trying to come i think the word he used was a very deep valley they're trying to come out of a very deep valley i mean on the record it's a, it's a very serious spinal injury so you know we don't know if he's paralyzed we don't know what his um his movement situation is, but we know, uh, we know it's a very serious spinal injury. And so, uh, you know, and that, and that's where we probably have to stop. But, but I think, uh, you know, the fact that you haven't seen him walking, the fact that you haven't seen a whole lot of visual pictures and he hasn't done interviews, 
um, suggests that it's a, a serious life-altering situation that he's potentially facing. And that's what I was going to get to because I would assume that, and I'm, you know, and this is me saying this, not you, but I would assume that if he was up and he was able to use his legs again, we would see it all over social media and with, with praise and saying that he's recovering. So I'm kind of with you on that, and I think it is alarming that we haven't seen that yet. Yeah, I mean, just you just follow your instincts on that, but hopefully, you know, things will, will end up in a good place. Um you know, just because you're in a certain situation today doesn't mean that that's the end of recovering or the end of your of your uh, of the the rehabilitation that you can do. Um, there's a lot of technology and a lot of healing, and everybody's different. So I don't think anyone's like assuming that he is that he's permanently got a very difficult issue, but he certainly has one now. Hey, Kevin, uh, I'm. I played a little high school football, but I'm I'm kind of a casual football guy at least until uh, it gets super interesting, and I'm I'm certainly looking forward to the Super Bowl this year in in uh, the Twin Cities. But yeah. last weekend, uh, I did happen to catch the end of the Steelers uh, New England game, yeah, which was pretty interesting. Yeah, uh, it was pretty fascinating how it all went down. I was a little surprised. I I didn't realize that 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 catch was going to be called a non touchdown. Yeah. What, yeah. what what's going on there? Yeah, that's the I mean that's where the catch rule has been now for several years um and I mean you, the, you know, those of us who who grew up in the in the 70s and 80s you know can think back to a time when that exact play would be ruled a touchdown and uh the NFL has really you know seemed has done a lot of work behind the scenes to see if there's a way that they can get out of this hole that they're in where every season there's probably five or six plays and some of them really important plays like we just saw that certainly pass the eye test of being a catch um, and in this case a touchdown but don't uh, qualify under the rule where they have said you ha- you it's not a catch when you're going to the ground unless you maintain control of the ball throughout the process of going to the ground and the reason that rule is there is they are not certain that they can get and they're not confident at all, I would guess, that they can get consistent calls from officials if they were to eliminate that requirement to hold on to the ball all the way through the process of the catch. If they just said it's a catch if you have the ball secured in your hands and, and, the, and your feet are on the ground, and then they ask officials to then judge whether you had enough, you did in fact have the ball securely when an instant later it falls out of your hands, they actually think that there will be more inconsistent uh, calls on catches than if they just had this hard and fast bright line that says it's not a catch period end of story unless you hold the ball all the way through. And their trade-off for what they feel is the maximum level of consistency is five or six of these calls every year that, that seem to, to, to be ridiculous. And so I, that's kind of where they're stuck. Two years ago they had this huge – uh, collection of former players and, and coaches and scouts and, and GMs and all these people got in the room and they spent two days looking at film and talking about it. And in the end, I remember Randy Moss was one of them. Um, they came out and said, we can't think of a better, more consistent way to, to have a catch rule. And so they left it the way it is. They wow. said today they're going to look back at it again. But I don't know if anyone has any ideas that are going to be different than what they talked about two years ago. So we might just be stuck there. You know, I don't know. Yeah, well, but, I mean, his knee hit the ground. No one touched him. He's falling forward. His arm, elbow hits the ground. If they, I have an idea. Maybe they need to use note cards. 
to, to yeah, measure, no card. To measure the distance, no card be, the distance between when he's about to hit the ground and the ball hits the ground or he didn't have full possession. But like uh, Anyway, thank you, Kevin Sievert. We've been uh, talking purple and, and talking football with you. We're going to let you go, and we're going to go to break. I'll join you in the fight against crap. Tom Chorsky and for Patrick Royce, and it's time for the Johnny Height Sports Update. Thank you, Tom. This update sponsored by Concordia University Online Learning. Get on track to a successful business career with Concordia University St. Paul. Learn online or on campus. Learn more about their business degrees at online.csp.edu. Vikings will be at Lambeau this Saturday night to play the Packers. Case Keenum? Well, he's uh, he's never played a game there before. Hmm. Expect a, a fun one. Um, I think it's been a great game. Um, you know, playing in Lambeau uh, in December. I mean, it's uh, you know a lot of important games have uh, have been played there, especially this late in the season, and this is an important game too. So uh, I'm excited. I really am. I think it's gonna be a great, uh, great atmosphere. I mean, obviously historic stadium, really cool place. Kept burping while they were interviewing him. Kept doing this. Thing. Was he wasted? No. No. That thing. <laughs> oh, wait, wait. I think we have more audio of them. You got to put Clamato in or it ain't going to taste right. What? <laughs> Mike's currently are the second seed. The NFC need to keep the winning, uh, keep winning to hold on to that spot or to pass the Eagles into the number one spot. Former golfer football coach Jerry Kill, as we found out this week, is out of the coaching profession after leaving Rutgers after one year as an assistant. He was on the Mackey and Judd show today. He told Judd and Phil and host Doogie that it's been a great run for he and his wife. It's, uh, no difference when I left Minnesota. I mean, I don't think I ever really reflected back. I just kind of shut it out of my mind as much as I could. And, and I've reflected back. And, you know, I don't want anybody to feel sorry for Rebecca and I. I mean, you can't have a better life and, and live more blessed life than we have. And, uh, you know, uh, the people we've met along the way, you know, we've got to do things nobody else ever gets a chance to do. Mm-hmm. He uh, sounds very depressed. Yeah, he retired, of course, for health concerns. He coached the Gophers here from 2011 to 2015. Yeah, but you could say that about all of us, Kenny, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> he's not more depressed than I am. <laughs> <laughs> Gopher men's basketball. Good afternoon, everybody. <laughs> we laugh at him. <laughs> Woe is me. <laughs> Gopher men's basketball team in action tonight. They're at home to face Oral Roberts University. Uh, the Wolves now 19-13 and 13 on top of the Northwest Division in the Western Conference. That's after the win last night. They are off until Saturday. Saturday night they will be at Phoenix. Wild off until tomorrow when they're at Florida. Devin Dubnik did practice today, though. He's been injured, not quite ready to come back. Injured in the first period of last Tuesday's home game against the Flames. He's unlikely to play in the team's two games this weekend before Christmas. But coach Bruce Boudreaux said today he thinks Dubnik is ahead of schedule as far as coming back from the injury. Rumors that Vince McMahon wants to reboot the XFL are officially now more than just rumors. Uh Uh-oh. Today, the WWE revealed to the Securities and Exchange Commission that McMahon has sold about $100 million worth of stock. He did so primarily to fund a separate entity from the company, Alpha Entertainment, which Mr. McMahon established to explore investment opportunities across the sports and entertainment landscapes, including professional football, according to a statement from the company. There had been plenty of smoke around McMahon wanting to reboot the XFL, which crashed and burned after one season in 2001. Most of that smoke was about McMahon getting trademarks related to the XFL, trademarks he previously abandoned because he thought he was out of the pro 
football business for good. But securing a trademark is a far cry from selling off a huge amount of stock in the business. McMahon has spent a lifetime building. It's a move that indicates McMahon wants to run a pro football league again and will spend a lot of his own money to make that happen. He hasn't said said anything publicly about the win. Or if he would start a new football league. Is he a rags to riches guy? This man? man? Yeah. No. I don't know. No. I don't know his backstory at all. No, his 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 father was in the wrestling business and okay. Vince kinda came up in it. So. Okay. Well, his father Jim. Yeah, he was uh <laughs> in it for a long time. Was he into dudes? <laughs> I thought his dad was Ed. <laughs> No, I, that wasn't a joke. I thought he was. No, he's, he's married. Oh, he is? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> nice. Nice, Charles. Oh, my God. Let's go to a break before we all get fired, <laughs> yeah. shall we? Yeah, let's all right. do that. Sounds good. <laughs> Nice, Tom Chorsky riding shotgun on the ride with Royce, sitting in for Patrick tonight. Uh, Manny and Reavers and... Uh, I, I got a thing here because you still got the beer show gig going, right? Oh, yeah. We're on at 6 o'clock tonight, baby. What's? Can you give me a preview? Uh, we're going to have a special guest, Bent Bruce Dillery out of Roseville. is going to be a featured guest, courtesy of our friends from Elevated Beer, Wine, and Spirits. Yeah. So I, I love doing the beer show. I get to meet a lot of really cool people that are involved in the business, the brewers, the owners. The thing. It's it's a really cool and unique industry, and I'm glad to be a, a little tiny part of it. So I, I, I stumbled upon this today, and I just kind of want to get your thoughts here. Unveiling the Double D Dark Roasted Brew is Dunkin' Donuts. What? Dark Roast Coffee. Okay. So there's a microbrewery out in Worcester, Mass. It's the only place you can get it, mm-hmm. and I think they're kicking it off this weekend. It's called the Wormtown Brewery Taproom. Um, but it is the apparently the second one. There's they they previously released the Dunkin' Pumpkin Brown Ale, but this is a uh, this is more of a Christmas or what do you call it a winter sure. festive uh, dark roast coffee ale. And I'm wondering if uh, if we need to are, get our hands on some of. Are this. you uh, are you much of a beer guy, Tom? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I am. so I'm, I've gotten tired of of I don't know. I've got a little bit of fatigue of trying all these different. IPAs, you're going back to what you normally do, your, your normal go to. A little bit, little yeah. bit, yeah. So, coffee and beer. I'm not a big coffee drinker. I might average like two or three cups a week just purely for the need of caffeine. And it's free here at the radio station. <laughs> um, but I know that there are a lot of people that with coffee and beer, it became, I don't know necessarily know if it's an obsession. It's got a very small audience. But those that love, like for instance, Surly just down the street, yeah, they've got they a make coffee the coffee bender, bender right? and it's yeah. the the people that love that beer. I mean, I've I've got a good friend that that's always in his fridge. Does it? And you taste the coffee? Quite yeah, you a bit? can, you can. I've had it before, and it, and it's good. If you're, a, I would never personally buy it for myself because I'm just not that big of a fan of that style of beer. Yeah. But there are a lot of people out there that are diehard coffee beer fans, big time. Okay. So I can imagine that. This will be, and because it's a it's a gimmick, and because it's Dunkin' Donuts that's involved, gimmicks too is is too harsh yeah, of a word to use. But but there, I guarantee there'll be people lined up to to get oh, this yeah. beer once it's released. Well, I guarantee that'll happen. Dunkin' Donuts, huge brand, especially out sure, east. absolutely. Well, speaking of diehards, I got another question here because I'm starting to see headlines, and I know there's a there's programming on the uh, local regional sports network in town here about the Minnesota Twins. Can can someone help me out here? Are we too early to talk about the Twins? God no, it's no. always I. That's my favorite Not sport. World. Nope, let's talk about it. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I mean, we we saw 
a pretty good season last year. Mm-hmm. Are we going to see an uptick? Are we in the right? It's going to depend um, on what happens between now and spring training, in my opinion. I know the, the baseball offseason in general has been pretty slow. There have been a few trades. I know there was a big one yesterday with the Tampa Rays sending Evan Longoria to San Francisco. But for the most part, I mean, there are still a lot of players that are still on the open market. And it's because, at least I... My guess would be that the asking price is just still too high. So a lot of teams and some big market teams, the the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Cubs, they're waiting for those numbers to come down. If they don't acquire another big-time starting pitcher and a relief pitcher, I'm going to be a little bit shocked, and they probably shocked won't make Shocked the... or disappointed? You're Both. right. Shocked, shocked is the wrong word. I will personally be disappointed if they don't acquire another. I'm not even a big fan, and I will too. Because they, they, and they, they have said, and this is a new regime, so we have to take them for their word that they're in on a big time free agent starter. Good. So I will take them for their word until I'm proven otherwise. Um, I know they have, you know, Thad Levine has come out and said that they're in on you, Darvish. I don't know how they they'll be able to court him over the likes of the Chicago Cubs or the Yankees or Red Sox. Show but, me the money. But but you know what? Uh, if if it happens, I'll be delighted. But I I just don't know that if they don't acquire that, how they can return to form and return to the postseason next year. Because the surrounding teams in the in the American League that the Twins are like yep. chasing, they're yep. getting better. They're getting the Yankees, better too. The Yankees have gotten they're the Yankees machine. were already good last year. They've gotten better now with Giancarlo Stanton. And, um, you know, you still have the Indians there, you know, probably going to be the favorites to win the division again. You have the defending world champions, the Astros, that are haven't really lost anybody, and they're going to be pretty much the same team again, and they're really good and young and up and coming still. So and the, the Twins are going to have to be busy. The problem that baseball currently has, I think, is you've got way too many teams that are deciding we're just going to be bad so we can rebuild yeah. from the ground floor up. And I think that that's bad for baseball. I really, really do. But um, unfortunately, it's a proven track record. That's yep. what the Cubs did. That's what the Astros did. Yep. Not every team can be the Dodgers, can be the Yankees, can be the Red Sox, where they can just continually spend and spend and spend every year. There's only about five or six teams in all of baseball that can do that. And yep. and that's the and that's the current business model, and I just think it's bad for the well, brand. Almost every sport, you got to be bad before you can be good, right? Well, as we wind things down here, um, as a hockey guy, I get the final word to talk about. The Wild go into Florida. Play the Florida Panthers uh, Friday night. That's a game they should win. Uh, the Panthers are 13-16-5 overall. They're they're 500 at home. They're only 6-6-3. Six, six Weren't they three. supposed to be good? Well, no one goes to their games either. I was it's, just going to say, they haven't been getting good crowds the last oh, few terrible. years. It's been bad. It's, it's really bad. I because they still have Bukestead, right? They Don't, got Nick Bukestead. Yeah. yeah, he's he's our he's our one Minnesota guy. But uh, the Wild have to get that game because then on Saturday, back to backers, they go into Tampa Bay and who was the the best team in the league probably. They're eight and two yeah. in their last ten. Look at this: if Florida Panthers are minus nineteen in their goal differential, Tampa is plus forty two. That's a big swing from uh, Friday night opponent to to Saturday night opponent. I like to pull for my guy JT Brown down there. Right on, right on. A good bulldog guy, right? So, well, this has been Tom Chorsky sitting in for Patrick Royce. Thanks, Tom. With Royce. Thanks, Manny. Thanks, Chris. Been a pleasure. Did you know Nissan EVs have traveled 8 billion miles? Just a quick trip to Pluto and back. And what did we learn along the way? Well, that an EV can take on the world, like the Nissan Leaf, it can move racing forward. And take your breath away like the all-new Nissan Aria. We learned to make EVs that electrify. 
8 billion miles driven by Leaf owners globally since 2010. Aria not yet available for purchase. Expected availability late fall. Subject to change.